0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Digging out of a hole is nothing new for this version of the L.A. Clippers. But if we want to believe that their secret weapon is Coach Ty Lu, we can all agree on one thing. His ability to dig out of this hole just got much, much harder. All eyes will be on this matchup between the Suns and the Clippers, which just got more difficult for the Clippers. Chris Paul is expected to play tonight. Now, we've gotten to this point with the Suns this year by really heaping all of the praise on Chris Paul whenever possible. This is a different version of CP3. This is CP3 coming in and making an immediate impact, which, frankly, he's done in the past. But because we haven't necessarily seen this level of playoff success, everybody looks at it differently. It feels like it's hitting through a different lens. many of us thought that by CP3 not being here for the Suns, this would suddenly create difficulty in the series. But instead, it's given us a delight. We've been able to watch the ascension of Devin Booker, who obviously has been incredible through much of the year, but he's taken a different step. We've been able to watch DeAndre Ayton come in and do amazing things. And frankly, we've watched Monty Williams go toe-to-toe with Ty Lue throughout the course of the entire season. Series, I should say. But all of this credit continues to go back to Ty Lue because of adjustments. Now, yeah, this is the same Ty Lue that, remember, at one point, the narrative was he wasn't a good coach. He could only win if he had LeBron. Do we remember that? Yeah, it feels like it wasn't that long ago that suddenly we were looking at Ty Lue and saying, oh, he's not that good. Like, I love the narratives on coaching in the NBA. I love the fact that a coach is a bum or brilliant depending on uh, what we perceive as incredible adjustments without acknowledging the real truth there about coaching in the NBA and that is the coaches with the best ingredients seem to win the most games. I relate everything to food shows because, let's face it, my inner fat kid wins most days. So when you start thinking about watching MasterChef, when you start thinking about watching Top Chef, I'm talking about great chefs. We're putting everybody on the same playing field. We're putting them all in one arena, and we're saying, cook us a spectacular meal. Well, if you give one of these great chefs incredible ingredients and you give the other, you know, store like generic craft mac and cheese, like you're going to get a different meal. Right At some point, what we see from some coaches is the perception of brilliance based on adjustments without acknowledging that maybe the adjustment is having great players that are playing incredibly well in the moment. I'm just saying. But that being said, you can't take anything away from the fact that the Clippers have been able to change the way they've approached every series. There, there's proof at this point. We have, you know, concepts here that are showing us Ty Lue has been able to make adjustments. And Om Young-Masuki, ESPN NBA reporter, spoke to that directly when he said this. Once again, the Clippers find themselves down 0-2 in a series. But this is where Lue has done his best work. After their crushing Game 2 loss in Phoenix, Patrick Beverly said the players are confident they'll rebound. They jokingly call Lue Bill Belichick with all the series-turning adjustments he makes. In the opening minutes of Game 3 against Dallas, Lou inserted Nick Batum in for Ivica Zubac, and the Clippers took off with their small lineup. And in Game 5 against Utah, Lou started Terrence Mann for an injured Kawhi Leonard to give Rudy Gobert fits. Former Cav Richard Jefferson told me Lou is the only coach he's seen with the basketball IQ to go toe-to-toe with LeBron James. Now, if you want to see more on Ty Lue or read more about Ty Lue and his greatness, Ohm has a great article out on ESPN.com. Go check it out. It'll give you a deep dive into the adjustments that have been made. But those adjustments all day long have helped for a Clippers team that on paper is flat out better than most of their opponents. What do you do when you're not better than the team that you're playing and you're in a no 2 hole? Oh, and by the way, that team is getting arguably their best player back. I mean, this is where it becomes incredibly important that the Clippers couldn't get one, that they didn't steal one. And man, they had every opportunity. If you look back at the first two games, which were both incredible, you can also look at it and say, wow, we got the best matchups we possibly could. I'm the first to admit, I thought game one, coming into game one, the series would be less. And I will admit what nobody else seems to want to admit out loud. Most of us thought that without CP3 and without Kawhi, game one would be sort of a dud. That there'd be some level of interest that would be lessened in this series. And instead, what did we get? We got an incredible matchup out of the gate, right? Now you can look at it and say, God, after two close games, two games that the Clippers have to look back on and say, oh, they were winnable. After all of that, because they couldn't steal one, they're now in this situation. This is worst case if you're the Clippers, you've now lost two games. You've now lost two games. You could have won, and you find yourself in a no 2 hole. Now, you could argue all day long that your coach is incredible and can make those adjustments, but Monty Williams is the one that drew up the game-winning bucket for DeAndre Ayton. Monty Williams is the one that, whether we want to give credit to CP3 or not, has been able to find ways to motivate these guys and find that, as they say, dog in them to get that level of intensity. Monty Williams has done that. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, flying solo. So when you look across the board and you don't see the difference in talent that favors the Clippers, and when, frankly, as good as Ty Lue has been, I'm not willing to discredit Monty Williams, now you got to ask yourself a different question. When you bring CP3 into this, how do the Clippers hang on? Now, I'm never going to say that getting a great player back makes things more difficult. I will say this. We've seen an incredible emergence over the last couple of games from Booker, from Aiton. We've seen an incredible emergence from campaign. When you look at those moments, that's going to be the interesting adjustment for me on the Phoenix side. How do you bring CP3 in? Make sure that we're right back in. I know it's only been a couple of games. But you also respect the fact that campaign, I mean, absolutely epic. When you talk about scored 18 points in the paint in game two. Career high, by the way. Tied for second most by a Suns guard in the last twenty postseasons? You are talking about somebody that has played absolutely lights out. He finished with twenty-nine points, nine assists, zero turnovers. The only other players to do that in a conference or NBA finals game, that'd be LeBron, Magic, and Bird. That's how well he's played. So now the balancing act for the Suns moving forward is gonna be how do they keep all that momentum momentum? How do they keep all of that intensity? How do they keep all of the good juju that they've been able to sort of drum up over the first two games from everybody else and still get the best out of CP3? The one difference here is when you look across the board, I'm not willing to say that the Clippers are a more talented team than the Suns. And as good as Ty Lue has been, I think it's a discredit to Monty Williams to say that Monty Williams can't coach at the same level that Ty can in this particular series. That's why, frankly, right now, if I'm the Clippers, if I'm Clippers fans, I'm afraid. I'm worried. Because it all comes down to this. You're not going down 0-3 and winning this series. And we can talk about what the Clippers have been able to do throughout the course of the playoffs. But at some point, we have to acknowledge, whether we like it or not, we're all going to have to acknowledge that this Suns team is better than any of us have been giving them credit for. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. All right, last night I spent the, the game watching, surrounded by a Bucks fan on one side and a Hawks fan on the other. That Hawks fan, my good buddy, former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, Harry Douglas, is going to join us next. I promised I'd let him get a little bit off his chest. He's going to do it. He's going to take us to church next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Look, I'm going to just be honest with you guys.
1: A little peek behind the curtain, right? Last night, I got the opportunity to hang out. I went to, you know, know—I'm up in Connecticut, went out to this little place called World of Beer in West Hartford, and I watched the game with two close, close friends. On one side, I had my buddy Sean Wyman. Uh, Sean Wyman, a lifelong diehard Bucks fan. And on the other side... I have Harry Douglas, the Atlanta Falcons former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver. So, I'm sitting between the two of them and and I got one job in this situation. My my only role here is to make sure that I am stirring things appropriately to the point that let's be honest, it was a very very packed place. And I got to be real, like some of the other tables might have been staring at us because The longer we went into this game, the more Harry Douglas was taking us to church. And Harry said, as we were getting ready to leave, he said, you're on air tomorrow. I expect to hear you talking about this. So I figured the best way to do it is to bring him on the show. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance on the Goodyear hotline right now. My good friend, former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, Harry Douglas. Harry, are you still on cloud nine after what you saw last night?
2: Fitz, I'm literally walking around my room right now in circles because I could not wait to get on. But if we're going to start this segment off the right way, we have to do it the right way. And you want to know what the right way is, Fitz?
1: No, it's pretty, tell me. Tell me.
2: Hawks and six. And I don't care who has anything to say about it. Hawks and six.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So there were some phenomenons I witnessed last night. One was uh, when you're sitting between two superfans, I realized because I do the same thing. Uh, the number of times that super fans will yell out the name of an arbitrary player that makes a play. And we have all done this. I've decided <laughs> I'm going to bring this into my life. Like of this year with the Raiders, I'm going to pick like the backup tight end. Like I'm going to be like Foster Moreau every time he makes a catch. Because y'all were doing that last night. Have you come up today with a good nickname for Trey Young that you are willing to go with, though? After all of the things you called him last night that were all positive, by the way. Have you found one Harry Douglas perfection for Trey Young?
2: Well, the, the, the most common that everybody calls Trey Young is Ice Trey, right? Because he's so ice, he's so cold. But Trey Young is playing against the bucks. And a lot of people say you have to fear the deer. But as sometimes, fits, I have these deer running around my yard. I, I never fear them. And sometimes when I see a buck, because I've been hunting before, I just do what Trey Young did to him last night. Shoot him down. You shoot him down. That's what you do. Oh, wow. You shoot him down. It.
1: You them down. Are we ready to say, we're talking to former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, Harry Douglas. And for anybody that doesn't know Harry, Harry's got love for Atlanta and it, it, it runs true. And, and one thing I've like genuinely noticed, whether it's Harry or Trevor scales or L Duncan, like people that love Atlanta, man, it's real. And it, it just comes all the way to your core. Are you ready to say that the Hawks of all teams, the Hawks are the one that can end the way that we perceive Atlanta sports at this point?
2: I, I will say this, I I, 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 would, I wouldn't say that they aren't ready to win a championship because this team is young, they're playing free, um, they love each other. Ever since Coach Nate McMillan took over that job for Lord Pierce, he has done a phenomenal job. And you see these players, you see the rest of the coaching staff, you see management, everyone rally around him, their leader. And everything that's going on right, right now and transpiring through that run they had during the, rec- the end of the regular season comes through their leader, which is Coach Nate McMillan. My brother played for Coach Nick McMillan, and he tells me, man, he is one of the best coaches he's ever had in his life. So when you see this Hawks team, the turnaround that they've had, it's not surprising by the things that my brother has told me about them.
1: Is there, is there less pressure? Like, uh, Talk to me about pressure in general, because we were having this conversation last night, and I, I think it's an interesting one. Like, The Bucks are such a favorite in this situation, and they got through Brooklyn. And it feels like maybe that actually adds to the pressure around them while you've got a young Hawks team that just sort of feels like it feels like they've got this swagger of indifference to the moment in a good way, like is that, is that something you've perceived? I, I think
2: so. And a lot of people look at the Hawks as if they're playing with house money right now. Um, I'll tell you this: their mindset and their attitude is totally different from that. Their attitude and their mindset is that we belong here, we're going to be here, and y'all going to fill us while we're here. And guess what here is? ATL, baby. All day, every day, Fits ATL.
1: Now, I got to admit, one of my favorite moments was watching big shots go down and seeing Harry Douglas in the bar just stand up and then parade around. like It was like (laughs) he just went marching. He just went marching and yelling at random tables, just yelling at everybody. And by the way, we were all completely (laughs) of normal mind through the process of this, which is only... Uh, only crazier through all of it, Harry. Like, how hype is Atlanta going to be for this this game? Like, when they actually get this series to Atlanta, give me a sense of what you expect the scene to be like.
2: Well, it, it's going to be crazy. And I, and I can think about a time where I played in the NFC championship game back in 2012, and how the Georgia Dome at the time was electric. The energy, the city, every everything was buzzing. Um, and I can only imagine how it's going to be for game three and four. And Fitz... I'm in here. I've been in here trying to pack all day because I'm actually going to Alaska for about, well, I'm not going to tell you all the amount of time, but I'm going to Alaska for a while. And I haven't finished packing fits because I've been walking around with a basketball underneath my, one of my arms. So I've been trying to pack with one arm and throw stuff in bags and stuff, and it's not working. My wife FaceTimed me. She said, honey, why are you walking around the house with a basketball? So I asked my wife. I said, why are chocolate chips and cookies? She said, because they're good. I said, because the Hawks are damn good, honey. That's why.
1: That's why I'm walking around the house with a basketball underneath my arms. Why, why Hawks in six and not Hawks in four? Come on. You got, you got well, but, one game down. You, that's it. I told you
2: I'm about to leave. I'm about to go to Alaska. The Hawks got to win in six because when I come back, I can go to game six and watch the Hawks win. Otherwise, if I was home, I would be at games three and four. Losing my voice inside the arena, State Farm Arena, which I think is one of the best places to play, especially right now with Trey Young. And you know, another nickname I have for Trey Young. You know, he has a little hair flopping all the time when he's running down the court. Little hair flop needs to needs, needs to shave it down a little bit. So I call him a little rooster. That little rooster, he be waking everybody up with that with the way he played the game of basketball. So Trey, you continue to do the rooster things that you're doing and waking up the world and waking up everybody to the Hawks because I'm behind you 100, percent Trey. And if, if anyone else isn't behind you, Trey, you send them to me. You send them to me, and I'll hail it for you.
1: Harry, the real question, we get to game six in Atlanta, am I your plus one? I mean, like, that. this seems only fair. Like, your wife will understand, right?
2: My, <laughs> I always go to the game with the plus one. My wife never goes to the game with me because she knows how <laughs> excited I get. And she's like, you know, I'll just stay home and relax. <laughs> I'll let you enjoy your night out with your friends, uh, the last two times I went, I took my brother, but my brother won't be here uh, when I go to game six. That's if the Hawks don't win in four or five. But Hawks in six!
1: Oh, I need Hawks in six because I just invited myself to be your plus one. You guys can follow him on Twitter and, at douglas 83 I got you. You know what? I'll even get like I'll even get some of those fancy earrings and put them in if that's what it takes to fit in. Like I don't have earrings yet, but you know what? No time like your mid forties to make that weird decision, right? Like maybe I'll just go that way and like that way I can like I can bling with Harry Douglas. Is that does that sound good?
2: now you now you of everybody know that my earrings come from Claire's. Buy three get three free. <laughs> See, I played in the NFL. There's no reason for me to buy expensive earrings if everybody know I played in the NFL for ten years. So I go to Claire's, I buy three, and you know the deal, you get three for free, so that's why they're in my arm. I mean my ears.
1: I right, See, that's what I love about you. You're frugal and you're amazing. Harry, thanks for the insight. Hawks and s- – I, mean, I can't say it. No, I can't say it. But I hope for your sake it works out, brother. Thanks for hanging out with me.
0: No problem, bro. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: I've got to get some insight on all of the other news, not just related to the playoffs happening in the NBA. So to do that – We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. Bobby, as always, appreciate the time. Woj tweeted out that the Mavericks are closing in on the hiring of a new GM, and Jason Kidd has emerged as a strong frontrunner to be hired as a head coach, uh, according to him and also Tim McMahon. So I'll ask you, what kind of fit do you think Jason Kidd is in Dallas?
3: Uh, Interesting. How's that sound? (laughs) I think... (laughs) Having been with Jason in uh, Brooklyn in that 13 14 season, I thought Jason probably did his best work uh, after January 1st with a, you know, especially with a, you know, a a tough locker room there. Uh, It didn't work out in in Milwaukee. You know, he had Giannis before Giannis really became Giannis. I I just think, Jason, it's interesting because here's an organization that their image is not good as far as everything that's gone on in that office. You know, they had the scandal a few years ago, and now you go out and hire a coach who's had a, you know, suspect past. I mean, we all know well we're well aware of everything that's gone on in his off the court life. And you know, Mark Cuban turns around and goes in this, th- this direction, and it's nothing against Jason Kidd as a coach or as a player, but I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't sit quite right with me as far as that's the that's the direction they're going.
1: How important is it to nail this? Given, I mean, not even for the product on the court, but I'm just talking about keeping Luka Doncic happy as a Dallas man. How, I mean, how do they do that through this process?
3: Oh, he should be the one who's making the decision, Jason, or at <laughs> least be part of it. I hope. I hope they call Luka and and kind of uh, ask his opinion on um, on this hiring here. Because, yeah, I mean, Luka's going to sign the extension in the next month. You know, he's going to sign a 200 million dollar extension but it doesn't mean anything, you know, it doesn't, you know, contracts don't mean anything in the league anymore where, you know, one sign of adversity, you know, there's, you know, he can go right up to whoever the new GM or Mark Cuban and says, I want out. So yeah, it's gotta, you know, it's gotta sit well with your franchise player and hopefully they, um, you know, Jason Kidd's the guy they ran it by.
1: We're talking to ESPN NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz blind solo. So, Obviously, Rick Carlisle is on the job market because he's no longer with the Mavs and he's not on the market anymore. Big money to go to the Pacers. So what's that fit look like to you?
3: I actually like that fit. (laughs) I do like that fit because I'm a big fan of Rick Carlisle. I think he's a good coach. I thought the roster, certainly outside of uh, Luka in Dallas, was probably average at best. Here he is going to a Indiana team that's um, you know basically bring back about twelve players. They've dealt with a lot of different injuries. He's get you know he brings he's got uh, Malcolm Brogdon and you get Sabonis and Miles Turner, Karis Levert there. We'll get T.J. Warren probably back healthy. So here's a team that could probably go from a play-in to probably be in the top six in the in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. It's not a rebuild. It's more of just try to figure out if these guys get healthy, see if some of these these parts fit. Um, But I do like the Carlisle hire in Indiana.
1: But it feels like, Bobby, at some point, at least I'll give the Celtics credit for bringing in somebody different, right? Like, it feels like we see so many of these coaches just bounce from job to job to job, and it feels like it's almost always the same rotation of
3: names. Is that good at the end of the day? Well, yeah. I mean, this is Jason Kidd's third job, right? Like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, potentially uh, Dallas now. And I think they were at a point – where we have to realize that there are a lot of good assistant coaches out there, like a lot of good assistant coaches. And it feels like teams are hesitant to go out and, and take a chance. I know it didn't work well with Indiana with Nate Kirkland as far as from that perspective, uh, first year coach, but the ranks have a lot of quality assistant coaches and we don't always have to kind of, I guess, you know, recycling guys who have been through, you know, with three or four different teams.
1: We're talking to Bobby Marks on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. I just mentioned uh, the Celtics. So Yudoko, like, what's your reaction to that fit there?
3: I like it. You know what? Um, you know, especially when it came out. As far as he has experience working with him in the USA, so the, the the relationship with Brown and and um, and Tatum are is already there. Um, it's as I say, it's all about building relationship with your main guys. Um, comes from a strong tree, you know. Certainly in, in San Antonio, was in Philadelphia, as, as you know. And um, I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, of, of giving coaches who have been lifelong assistants, certainly a, a guy who played in a league, uh, an opportunity. And I and I think Boston, out of all the job openings, was probably the, the most appealing out there.
1: You know, Bobby, I never root for a coach to be out of work. I just I'll, I'll never be that guy. That being said, as you watch the Bucks, we always seem to have an eye on Coach Bud and whether or not Budenholzer is going to keep his job. It feels like that's the the every time they lose a game, we say Coach Bud is going to be gone. So, in your mind, is he now that they've beaten the Nets at least to get to this point? Is he safe where he is?
3: You know, it's crazy, Jason. I wrote Milwaukee's off-season article in case they lost in Game 7, and that, you know, that's the, that was one of the big sections as far as you know his job security should be questioned, although he's won 71% of the game. When they won, I thought, you know what? I think he might be safe getting to an Eastern Conference Finals, but I watched them last night, and I thought, my goodness, if they don't get out of this round, I think if you're Milwaukee, you're looking at what's the next best choice for you. I just felt... There was no sense of urgency from this group. I felt like they treated it like a regular season game here until maybe the last couple minutes here. Um, They had a full playoff series of what Trey Young was able to do against Philadelphia. I didn't think they adjusted at all to it. So we'll see where this series goes. But after last night, um, I'm ready to start questioning as far as if he is the right fit, even though this team got to an Eastern Conference Finals.
1: I think it's interesting, Bobby, because we talk so much about how progressive the league is. And obviously the Trailblazers gave Becky Hammond or giving Becky Hammond an additional interview. She's a finalist for the job there. But we talk constantly about how it feels like the league is ready for a a woman to be a head coach and how there are interview opportunities. But it never seems to go farther than that. How realistic do you think it is that we're actually going to take that next step and have a female head coach in the NBA?
3: Well, I mean, at least I would say we're making progress, but progress is for one of these ladies to land one of these jobs if it's if it's Becky Hammond or or Teresa Weatherspoon or you know Carol Lawson, who's down at Duke as the women's coach there i mean we can we can go through the process as far as them being a finalist last time I checked there, you know we weren't giving out medals people for being finalists it doesn't doesn't help from a resume standpoint so we are making a little bit pro- more progress than we were a year ago, but I think progress is that when one of these teams goes out and hires Becky Hammond or Carol Lawson or Teresa Witherspoon.
1: Well, and Teresa's name has come up so much partially because of her relationship with Zion, and I asked you earlier about Luca and how much say he should have. How do you find the fine line when you run an organization about making sure that you're getting the best candidate but also the candidate that your star is going to be the happiest with?
3: Yeah, that's the big thing, right? It's one thing as far as who Zion or Luca wants, but it's another thing when you have that person on the sidelines if they can actually, you know, do the job. They can build relationships if they can do the X's and O's and everything that comes with it. Here, so I do think it's important to have your players involved in the process. Do they have to sit in the interview? No, but I do think you need to kind of keep them in a loop and, and certainly run the names by because there might be someone out there that you're not thinking of that they, you know, they might have in mind.
1: Bobby, as always, I appreciate your insight and your expertise, my friend. Stay safe. Have a great summer. Hopefully we'll – I mean, we're going to keep talking anyway because God knows there's always <laughs> news in the NBA.
0: But I appreciate you, brother. You're welcome. Thanks, Jason.
1: Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Now, Progressive makes things easier. The Bucks are making things more difficult. Now, you guys know that I'm all in, and I've been very pro-Milwaukee. I'm very pro Bucks. I'm looking at all of this saying, God, this feels like the right moment. It's the window. It's the opportunity for Milwaukee to go out and show everybody what you can be with a great player, and no matter the market size. There's so much that's easy to root for. But the one question we constantly seem to have about this team is It isn't about Giannis, although there are questions about how his game is developing. It isn't about Drew Holiday, although, let's face it, it, Game 7 particularly, uh, Middleton and Holiday both left a lot to be desired in how they played all the way up until the end of the game. Now, it's not about any of that. It's always about one thing. It's about Coach Bud Budenholzer. And there's this real conversation about his ability to make the correct adjustments. We spent so much of tonight's show talking about Tai Lu and the greatness of what he's capable of on the bench and what he can do for the Suns to help them or sorry for the Clippers to help them get out of the situation they're in, right? We don't say those things about Coach Bud. In fact, more often than not, we find ourselves scratching our heads saying, "What?" But I think the real thought was when Milwaukee got through Brooklyn, that changed. And I watched last night's game thinking, nope, I spoke too soon. See, it's easy to say, hey, Milwaukee needed to beat a great team in the playoffs to show everybody how great they can be." That's a portion of the conversation. But I'm not sure how we can eliminate the rest of the conversation, which is now Milwaukee's in a familiar position. They're the favorite. Everybody expects them to beat Atlanta. Everybody thinks that they are headed to the finals. And they just didn't get it done. Now, it's only one game, and it's a seven-game series, or at least best of seven, right? It's one game. According to Harry Douglas earlier, it's going to be six, Hawks and six, right? It's, a, it's only one game. But when that one game reminds you of all of the things that we've been talking about for weaknesses around Coach Budenholzer and around the Bucks in general, it starts to cause a little bit of panic. This is what Stephen A. Smith said
0: about the Bucks and the way that they handle their decisions. At some point in time, we just got to call a spade a spade. This basketball team during this postseason hasn't played the most intelligent basketball you can find. Brooke Lopez has no business being on the floor. He is a liability. He's big but entirely too slow. So you put him in pick and roll situations. He can't come out and defend anybody on the perimeter, which means that you're surrendering those floaters to a Trey Young. Or the alley oops to Clint Capella the moment he comes out and steps a foot away from the basket. Middleton is a walking roller coaster. One minute he's dropping 39. Another game. He can't hit the backside of a ball. He shoots six of 23 tonight. That's a problem. And then you got Drew Holiday, who had an exceptional offensive game, scoring 33 points and hitting a lot of his shots, including five three pointers. But here's the flip side. This is an all defensive player kind of player in the National Basketball Association. Where was he tonight when Trey Young was running roughshod? Over them. Nowhere to be found. So they've got some decisions to make. They're going to have to go small. You're going to have to put Giannis and the at the five spot. You're going to have to do those kind of things to maintain some size, but to answer Atlanta's quickness and perimeter shooting, those are your answers.
1: And as much as I agree, agree with everything Stephen A. just said there, my follow-up question is how did we not see this coming? I mean, Atlanta didn't do anything in Game 1 that we didn't anticipate. And Brook Lopez absolutely was an abomination in this game, especially on pick and roll. I'll give you this from our great stats and info department. Trey Young in Game 1 of the conference finals averaged one point per play when anybody other than Brook Lopez was covering him. He averaged 1.58 points per play when Brook was on him. Absolutely soft coverage. He found a a better opportunity, and more open looks against Brook than he did against anybody else. Now, stats and info figured that out, and of course the Bucks will figure that out, and presumably they'll adjust, or will they? Because one of the things we've seen, and we keep talking about the greatness of the defensive play of Giannis Antetokounmpo, but we got to remember that we didn't see that at the end of the game against KD, right? Game 7, we talked about it then. And we don't seem to see that, as they say, dog right now, right? Like that that defensive want. Hey, this is the end of the game. Put me on it. Where's the Kawhi moment? Where's the adjustment moment? Where's the guy coming out saying, hey, this is not going to stand and this is absolutely going to change right now because I'm not going to let it happen. We don't see it. We presume that there's going to be some great adjustment, but why? Coach Bud's not really famous for making great adjustments. And I'm not sure that Giannis is being pushed enough to force those things to happen on his own. Malika Andrews, ESPN NBA reporter, talked on SportsCenter after the game about how Giannis reacted specifically to the loss in game one.
0: he said that the loss was frustrating, but he said that the most frustrating part was the offensive rebounds. That's what was really standing out to him as something that they need to improve on because John Collins and Clint Capella combined for nine offensive rebounds on top of the 25 uh, defensive rebounds that they had together. And so Giannis said that that's a matter of effort. He told me that's not about going back and looking over the film and figuring out what tactically they need to do better. It's about laying your body out on the line. That's what he said they want to do do more of and improve on next game. That's really where they're hoping to hone in because as Giannis said, look, it doesn't matter that we've been down 0-1, 0-2 last series against the Nets. This is a new series. We can't think because that went well, oh, this is going to go fine for us. They need to ratchet up that pressure.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz flying solo. And you just heard Malika say effort. I mean, effort at the end of the day, when I see a lack of effort, Man, my first, my first thing to look at, Coach and Star, the two people that are con- that are responsible for creating a culture of urgency, Coach and Star. Those are the ones we've got to be looking at saying, okay, if there's an effort issue, then boy, that's an easy one to fix. You just got a lot of light of fire. But what do you do when you don't have that person there to help make that happen? It comes back to what we're looking for for tonight's game, too. Like, think about Chris Paul and the credit that we've given Chris Paul in helping a young Suns team find that thing, that intangible fire, that different focus. DeAndre Ayton is a different player in these playoffs. He's found a focus. We've had multiple guests in the last week talking about the Suns, telling you, that Aiton played was sort of like a childlike, uh, you know, the, the carelessness at times, an immaturity at times during the regular season. That's gone in the playoffs. Where's that moment for the Bucks? And if it's not there, who's responsible for creating it? Well, at the end of the day, you got to look at who we typically ask to create these things: Kobe's job, Shaq's job when he's the leader of the team, Jordan's job. When you talk about the great ones, you talk about the guys that are the lighter, that create the fire. And if Giannis isn't that person, then you got to look straight at Coach Bud and say, Budenholzer, what are you doing? We watched Trey Young go off, absolutely go off. And that's fine. Trey Young's a brilliant young player in the NBA. I won't take anything away from Trey Young going off. The problem is, I don't think Trey Young in the process of going off did anything that couldn't have been expected. And if what we got from Trey Young in game one was the expected version of Trey Young and the Bucks weren't ready for it, oh, that's a coaching issue. And if what we saw were the Hawks outworking the Bucks, if we saw better effort, better hustle, better energy when it came to boards, oh, that's a coaching issue. That's a star issue. Those are the things that make me think. I thought after the Game 7 win over the Nets that we could say that the Bucs were just fine and that they were going to come out and show the world that they got that off their back and they were ready to go out and be themselves. And instead, we've been reminded that maybe the Bucs being themselves is actually an underachieving result. Underachieving result. I should learn how to speak.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Spain & Fitz Podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.